It's really funny because I don't like I used to be really into books about, say, like boat building and such. But now I, I find that a lot of my information comes from this kind of like melange of other people, like the humans around me is where I gather a lot of my information about building. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 66 with Abel Zill. At a time when tiny houses are getting larger and more standardized, my guest, Abel Zill, is still building beautiful, functional pieces of art. Abel hand builds windows, doors, roofs, and pretty much everything that goes into his houses, which lends them an enchanted, almost fairy tale look. But these houses are not in the dark ages. Abel uses technology and CNC to help him build incredible curves into his tiny houses, which makes them some of the most beautiful tiny houses that I've ever seen. I hope you stick around. Before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about Tiny House Engage. Tiny House Engage is a small, private group where I answer your tiny house questions every single day. If you're serious about planning and building a tiny house, you're going to have a lot of questions along the way, and you're going to need answers that are specific to your situation. That's why I created Tiny House Engage. There are lots of free Facebook groups online where you can ask your tiny house questions along with 30,000 other people. But in Tiny House Engage, you'll get individual attention from me and from other members in the group who are already building and living tiny. Tiny House Engage registration opens once every six weeks, and our current registration period opens today. So if you'd like to join Tiny House Engage and start having your tiny house questions answered every day, visit thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E. All right, I am here with Abel Zill. Abel has been designing and building tiny houses since 2007. Zilvardo's tiny houses are known all around the world for their curved lines and fairy tale stylings. Abel is a founding member of the American Tiny House Association and is known for his educational, activist, and informative efforts in the tiny house world. Abel Zill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Ethan. Um, uh, glad to be here. Glad to have you. I was curious if you could tell, start by telling the story of how you got into building tiny houses in the first place. Wow. Tiny houses started. There was several factors that kind of came together, but really, I've been building and tinkering since I was a kid. My dad always would give me materials and his old tools, so I always kind of had an opportunity to build things, and of course, that led to many forts, but tiny houses are a little more than forts. Um, I think it really came into my mind when I had heard about them simultaneously was studying boat building in college mm -hmm. at Evergreen State College in Olympia here. And then I ended up living on a sailboat, a very small sailboat. Uh, it was like a 21-footer, 22, I believe. But what that translates to inside is, is a really, really compact space, smaller, smaller than most tiny houses. And 
that only lasted a certain time because it was kind of like a work trade. And then I had a new, I had a baby and I was living up on the west side of Olympia. And I met Dee Williams, who is kind of a name in the tiny house world. Uh, she's great. Uh, great sense of humor, super personable lady. And she, I, I told her, you know, I, I was like, oh, hey, you have this tiny house. You know, it's been something I've been thinking about doing. And she's like, well, crap, what are you waiting for? Why don't you build one? And I was like, I don't know. I live, I live right on the west side, you know. She's like, that doesn't matter. Just, just, just do it. So that she kind of just goaded me on a little bit, um, which is great because we've crossed paths again and again. That sounds um, like over D. the years. Yeah, 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 really. And um, she's so so she kind of you know showed me that I didn't really have anything to not no reason not to do it. So I did. And then my first tiny house, kind of, I started it and it was unfinished for a little while. And then I moved to the other side of town and part of my like pre-move nesting instinct or whatever you want to call it was to finish that one off. And that one actually happens to be my own tiny house, which is kind of funky and different from all my others. Uh, but that just kind of led on into, I was doing some remodeling and building around town. And I don't know, I think some word got passed from one person to another and a, a woman approached me up building one for her. And I had this crazy idea for it. You know, I drew this picture and it was like, Arch is the one that's known as the fortune cookie house. And uh, so the rest is kind of history. Like I just showed me that, well, I shouldn't really hold back with what my dreams or fantasies were about building these kind of things. That's awesome. So you really just were inspired by another tiny house and you jumped right in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of been my MO is kind of diving into things. You know, like, I, I, it's not really fake it until you make it, but it's more like if you don't know, if, a lot of it was just kind of like blind optimism. <laughs> you know, I'd like dive into things and I'd be like, this is going to be great. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a little, always a little harder than I thought, or I didn't make as much money as I thought. And that's kind of been the story all the way along, actually, with the kind of work that I do. But uh -huh. it's probably more, fulfill more, more fulfilling than if I just took like the highest paying, you know, design job or building job that I could have found around town. There's lots of things I could have done that would make me more money than building weird tiny houses, but I, I don't regret a moment of it. So. <laughs> Yeah, the for I, I was going to ask you actually about the fortune cookie and it's now that you said you you were into boats, it's like the fortune cookie is like a, a boat upside down. Yeah, yeah, that's what really commonly people say about it. I didn't of course conceptualize it that way, but uh I just thought, well, it's it's the roof and the walls are one thing, you know. Uh it has this it's it's a very simple just like an a gothic arch-ish shape. Mm -hmm. Um, with kind of a point at the top. But uh, as it turned out, it was actually really fun to build and it is extremely strong structure. So kind of like an egg or something. Yeah, and I will, um, on the show notes page for this episode, which I'll say at the end, um, I'll put lots of pictures to everything that we're talking about and links to all of your 
your website and social media and all that stuff. So people who are only okay. listening will get a chance to see the houses too. Thanks. I try to I try to take pictures uh, when I can. Uh, lately, I've been too busy with building to take as many pictures as I'd like to. So, uh, so some some pending stuff I'm saving up. So after that first client build has you know has that just rolled into the next build and the next build like there's just been a steady stream of people who who want one of your houses in the way things have worked out yes uh, of course you know me trying to make it make a living doing something that's off the beaten path you know it is just building and tiny houses are an energetic industry one might call it but it's still a very you know, little craft industry. And um, I've always, you know, had moments of worrying if I was going to pay the bills for the next month or two or whatever. And I think fate has been fairly good to me and it keeps the wheel going around. And as it is right now, I'm, I'm booked up for like two years. Wow. So it, the wheels going around, it still, it hasn't stopped. How many houses do you build in a year? Um, there was a moment where I had a a larger crew. Or I try, I should say, I tried a larger crew, and I was building maybe four to five in a year. But right now, I'm wow. keeping it very focused on the quality of them and of me actually being in there building them. Because it's really hard to manage people on something that's as complex as these are. So I'm down to between one and two a year. In fact, I, I have for the next year, I have one that's a relatively large, complex, fancy build, if you want to call it that. And it just, it's a lot of things are hand built in it. And uh, it will be my work for that year. So one, one house in, in the year. But I'm okay with that. You know, it's like, it's it's not about making a product as fast as I can. It's about finding a balance between what people want me to do for them and what works for me as like a craft slash business that I also make a living at, which is kind of, kind of sweet. It's kind of an amazing intersection of a lot of different things coming together. Yeah, yeah. Um, elaborate on that a little bit. Because well, there's a lot of like what you just said that, you know, it needs to work for the client as as a home they can live in, but it also needs to work for you. I mean, I I think of your houses as very beautiful yet very functional pieces of art. And so not all artists are able to be successful at selling their art, but it sounds like that's how you treat it. Yeah, yeah. You so so yeah. You're you're right there. There's multiple. It there's this middle where engineering and function me. It's it's like form and function. Not I. Tr I don't want to compromise on either one, and that's not easy. Uh, it's not easy. But I I want to keep enough of the art that it keeps me plus the people I'm building for like inspired and. I, I think there is there is a kind of an idealistic crossover of those two things, you know, something that's both beautiful that you can live in is is kind of 
not it's not a new idea, but it, it's it's pretty remarkable when it happens well in this day and age. Yeah, I mean it's it's remarkable in this day and age, and also, you know the the type of finish work that you're doing on these houses. I mean, I'm just I'm looking through your models right now as we talk, just like beautiful arched windows and you know shingles, cedar shingles copper roofs like these are the kinds of things that like are not accessible to most people but when you put them into a tiny house they do become accessible like those those materials and design elements right right yeah there's there's an interesting thing that happens with that and, and part of the reason why i have so many different elements in my houses is it goes back to something i said a little earlier of kind of me diving into things and being a little bit of a blind optimist and not really realizing that I can't do or not telling myself that I can't do something. So I've taught myself, you know, how to create metal roofs by hand. Um, like I said, I've always been around people and learned from these fantastic artists and people, all these different skills, I guess you could call them, or forms of art, but also skills in the building world. and. I've kind of put them all together doing the tiny houses. So I build windows and I fabricate metal roofs. And so it's, I think I have the luxury kind of having a shop where I can do that stuff, but it doesn't happen quickly. And it's not easy to hire out all those different elements. Like if I was to say, I'm not going to do anything except run the project. My houses may cost like, one and a half times as much because when you go out there and you look for somebody who can work on copper roof or, you know, somebody who will do the engineering for your plumbing and electrical, I do the engineering and I hire people to do that stuff because of code issues. But still, I do so much stuff myself that it keeps from becoming like unobtainable either with both cost and complexity. So it's kind of my dream, but it's also what makes me a little slow as a builder like i can't crank out 10 of these at once right but they each one just is so unique that it's clear that that it's a kind of a one-of-a-kind creation i mean even if you are building do you do you kind of i see that you have the models on your website do you kind of yeah offer those as like you know if i want a moon dragon tiny house like you'll build me a mm -hmm. moon dragon tiny house yeah yeah but within that process i've always been one to talk to people a lot and to also find the balance between what works for them uh because behind that that veil i have this belief that adapting a house to somebody is kind of like taking in their pants so they fit a little bit you know it's like you're adapting the thing that they live in every day to work best for the person that you're building it for that doesn't mean it's not universally usable by other people for the most part, but it is still, they get tailored to people. That's what I've noticed too. And sometimes they're just uh, like a lot of the process, even the creative process, it's inspired by what the person is wanting. So there's this like feedback loop that happens. And a lot of builders won't do that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, again, it's kind of one of my little fantasy level parts of my businesses that I have this like creative adaptability. Right. It's like, Looking at them, there are so many elements that if you like asked a contractor 
who was more concerned with like speed and efficiency, like about doing so many of these things, they would tell you not to do them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's common to get a no on a lot of the stuff I do actually, uh, from most builders. Um, right. You know, cause, cause it's, it's also when you're running a small business, which I do, you have this kind of responsibility to yourself. If you want to not just go down in the hole, or if you're not like, independently wealthy and just do it for fun of making it pay its own bills you know and so at some point sometimes you make a decision based on what makes enough money to work some people decide all of their business decisions on what makes the most money but i choose not to do that so what are some of the most challenging elements that you put into your builds Um. There's different kinds of challenging. There's definitely like technically challenging. I think windows and doors have been like an ongoing um, process ever since I, and I started doing it. But those designs get revamped as I go along and they get better, right? But it, it, they, they get revamped constantly. So kind of hitting that target of making sure that it works and not spending too many hours fine-tuning it is um, kind of where it's at. Uh, and actually, in the last year, um, and this is because I'm a little more streamlined now than I was a couple, even a couple of years ago. I don't have a bunch of employees right now. Um, I've had the chance to kind of sit back and breathe a little bit and look at my the different parts of my houses as their own little elements. So like a particular kind of window has its own life. And I've been able to do what I guess amounts to a sort of process development with how I build them. And it's really made a wonderful difference of like how well the doors work. And it also helps me manage the time that I put into them because I really know like, yeah, it's going to take me eight and a half hours to glue up the door core, trim it all up and do it. You know, it's like, if I ever did, I actually do plan to do more a la carte doors and windows as time goes on. But um, I guess I'm just, I'm kind of focusing on doors and windows. And that's because they are technically very difficult compared to other stuff like putting down a floor, or putting in cabinetry, you know, making sure that all the utilities are inspected before you send. You know, stuff like that's pretty easy and predictable and other builders have done it. But like, I think the custom doors and windows are definitely the tricky parts. Of yeah. The- it would seem that if you want a door slash window that doesn't let in an unnecessary amount of air and or water, the tolerances are pretty tight. The precision required to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. It's um, you, yeah, you you do your wood, and I'm trying to do this with solid wood, which is not done as much this is very rare these days there are like some astonishing there's like a a woman that i think she she works in mexico city that builds handmade like wood doors and they're just totally flabbergastingly beautiful like she's an artist like i think she's known the world over as well for her design work um like those people i kind of look up to a little bit because like they've you know, they're focusing on one thing and getting it really good. 
Um, so, but I have to kind of switch my hats all the time because I have to do that when I do roofs. You know, like I'm like, okay, I'm I'm actually pretty good at roofs by now. <laughs> um, I think roofing's really fun, but no, it's and you have some really complicated curvature in your roof lines, like multiple curves happening at the same time, multiple planes. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's why I've learned as much as I have about doing creative roofing is because I have to because my I want my structures to be curved and there aren't a lot of roofs that are made out of the factory to be on a curve. So sometimes I literally make it in the shop. I have some of the tools um or I I go to a sheet metal maker and have them fold certain panels a certain way to my specs and yeah. I was curious if you had um any advice to offer to a potential listener who might be interested in working with a curve in their own DIY tiny house, like any, any words of wisdom for working, you know, once you're, once we're getting away from, from 90 degree angles. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's totally doable. I mean, I kind of knuckleheaded my way through my first tiny house, which was, you know, basically I did it with a jigsaw and, and a lot of head scratching. Um, but, uh, if, you know, it can take a little bit of time to get all the details worked out, but they're really kind of fun. If you keep the curve simple, like if you don't make multiple compound curves feeding into each other, that that's where it gets kind of crazy engineering wise. But if you just did like an arched tiny house, and other people have done some, and actually there's some people that have used, and they usually like call me and give me pictures, you know, write me and give me pictures, but they've done like fortune cookie-esque kind of arched houses. There's a, at least at least two of them out there, if not more, um, in the world. <laughs> so that's kind of charming that, you know, there's this kind of feedback loop. But yeah, keep the curve simple and... uh you know, kind of repeating for the first time around. And then if you want to get crazy and do what is essentially a boat, once you start doing like a curve that swells or gets smaller, then you're building a boat. And that's all been done before too, in a way, except a house is not exactly a boat, but the the layout skills already have been done for hundreds of years, you know. Right, like skin-on-frame canoes and things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, bo- boats are basically you know, like all these different sections that you kind of assemble and then you bend something over them. Right. And how you, how you deal with the things you bend over them. Oops, just elbowed a water bottle off. No worries. Um, (laughs) How you deal with the things you bend over them is, is there's, it depends on what you're bending over it. It's the same thing with my houses, you know. So are you using... Like, is your roof construction below the metal, like, fairly typical? Like, are you using some kind of sheathing sheet good on top of rafters, or is it something completely different? It's, well, it appears, in some cases, it's rather typical. But a lot of times, and this is another reason that I've kept my kept my business kind of streamlined because what I'm doing, the engineering is a little unique to my shop. And so some of the techniques have been only kind of developed in house. 
I'm using a, a what's called a stress skin concept, mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 somewhat related to to laying you know a skin on a frame, but because everything's attached together, it obtains more strength for less weight. And I use primarily wood, but it could be done with steel or anything really. Um, but it, it it develops a lot of strength per weight, and so the way it's attached together at some point becomes a little different. Um, it's not the only way to do it either. There's definitely other ways. There's the barrel method where you basically you make curved rafters, however you make those, and they have to be strong enough to bear the load that you're, you know, just like normal rafter stuff. And then you lay planks over it, which is kind of the old way to do. It's called barrel barrel roofing or barrel framing i i guess um but i'm using rather sh- rather thin sheathing material um to adapt to the curvature that i use so um and in some cases i'm deriving the shapes off the computer doing what's called an unwrap so i'm unwrapping the shape of the plywood and then i put it on my cnc and cut it to the exact shape and then they fit together it's like it's like having a pattern for a piece of clothing. They kind of fit together perfectly when you put them on the roof, and it's like the most pleasing thing in the world. That's amazing. So you're basically like, and this always blows me away, like, because this is not a skill that I have, but like working in two, di- like taking some two-dimensional objects and being able to fit them together into a three-dimensional object, like a clothing maker or a sail maker or like... Exactly. The roofs that you're making. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, fiddling to get a two-dimensional object and worse yet if it's solid wood because i all my trim a lot of my trim rafters are solid fir boards wow you know they're just like two by twelves or something but i often have to make weird joins in them um as a boat builder probably would uh and that's the stuff you see on the outside and the inside i use a form of structural plywood typically for my structural elements Mm -hmm. because it's easy to cut on the cnc it's very strong per weight so, but sometimes I, I use some combination of things to get the structural quality that I need. How are your, how do you usually insulate your houses? The insulation actually is fairly standard. I use a variety of insulations, often just depending on the client, because, you know, baseline would be, I use a, you know, like a non-binder fiberglass fiberglass is very stable and um fairly you know once it's once it's made it's very inert in the environment um it doesn't you know there's also a vapor barrier so no fiberglass comes out into the house ever so you don't have to worry about getting any in your eyes or whatever um so i consider that like a great building material even though there's lots of newer insulations that get a lot of press uh but it's usually fiberglass i do i've been sourcing wool bats lately which performs very similarly but it's mm-hmm. it's very similar you know there are spaces between my structural members just like there are in regular framing and i build the amount of space again that's kind of the advantage to designing the curves on the computers i can just push as much space as i want or i can modify it a little bit to get the insulated value that i need and then i take care of the envelope of the house um and a lot of that comes down to doors and windows as far as getting airflow and I do a vapor barrier on the interior. And again, there are a couple ways I do that. But once all that's together, the house becomes very, it, it performs well in a variety of climates. Um, I upped my insulation values like several years ago. Uh, 
because my, you know, I was doing like roofs that were like five inches thick or something, and I just wasn't quite getting good enough insulation in the roof mainly. So I kind of upped everything a little bit. Um, but yeah, once everything's all together, doors and windows have been sealing really well and the house gets very quiet. <laughs> you like don't hear the cars going by as yeah. much, just kind of where it's at. Um, but, uh, I, I don't chase a particular like residential insulation requirements are usually much higher. I think tiny houses don't require quite as much because it's a compact structure. There's not as many thermal breaks and leaks because it's just smaller. So I tend to, to keep it like R21 above and below. And often it's R13 in the walls, but you know, with like the wood siding and all, it seems to perform really well. Nice. Have you ever, well, actually let me, I'll take that again. Are all your homes on wheels or do you also build houses on the ground? That's a great question. Um, and some something that people ask me quite a lot lately, I think because rules are always kind of shifting a little bit. Um, I primarily build houses on wheels. Uh, and I, I'm not going to go into all the little fineries of why, but they're easy to move about. So transporting something when it's ready to go and ready to arrive at your space, if it's already on wheels, is... You know, you can take the wheels off the axles either way, you're, or you can take the axles off if you want. Uh, the trailer frame is a very stout steel base for a house. It's a foundation, essentially. And the, the ones that I get are made specifically for like building tiny houses on. So they're, they're a little beefier than, say, a, a regular like cargo trailer. Um, so the on-wheels represents a big kind of a savings in the cost of transporting because otherwise i you know i I don't have a crane or anything (laughs) but you have to order something to pick it up and put on the truck you have to pay the trucker while they're waiting there to get this loaded and strapped down you know what i mean so you can do that you can order and you then you order a a low boy semi truck which is the kind that have the double drop and those are really expensive so you can just hitch these to a Mo- almost every house I've made can be hauled by a three-quarter ton b- diesel pickup. I think every house I've made can be hauled by a three-quarter ton diesel pickup, and that's a pretty commonly known transport vehicle yeah. in this country. So, so yeah. So there's a kind of an economic advantage to keeping on wheels. Then to just skip to the other end of your, your what you said, building on the ground is a highly regulated, still, it hasn't changed just yet, but there's a lot of stuff in the works. It still, it throws you into a different category. And I've definitely entertained the idea and I talked to like my local building department that does, you know, manufactured housing and stuff. But once I'm putting on a foundation, I would have to become a general contractor in the area where the house is going to be. So all of a sudden my range, I couldn't be a general contractor for like half the US or anything. It would be like economically unfeasible for me. So, and then you carry bonds for each different, it's, it's pretty complicated. Um, and we wonder why housing is so expensive these days. <laughs> yeah. So what people do is when building on the ground, permitting and stuff costs so much, it makes more sense to build the full size that you would need. It's like building a tiny house with permits in a city is often the same price as building something with three times as much square footage. 
So there's this kind of negative feedback loop that happens on the bottom end of the building on the foundation part of making housing. We do need small and affordable housing for sure. That's like a screaming need out out west here, but I think all over the country this is a a thing right now. So um but um uh, the on wheels gives kind of a in the gray area. Uh, uh, there are they're swiftly becoming a lot of places where they are acceptable in various places and like there's kind of a modified RV park version of tiny house villages that's happening and stuff like that. So so it, it's it's working for people. Yeah, and I mean, in your bio, I mentioned um, that you're a founding member of the American Tiny House Association. I was curious what um, what kind of educational and activism type things you've been up to lately. Lately, lately, I've been a little quiet. Besides talking with some folks out there that that also do. Uh, kind of activism stuff for rules and laws. And I try to keep up on laws and rules, but lately a lot of my folks has been building and building really well. And actually like me, myself with the tools in the shop. Um, and that's kind of where I need to be at the moment. Uh, when, when I first, in, in prior years, I've done a bit of speaking and um, educational stuff at like tiny house conventions so uh, I'm just kind of on a, a quiet time at the moment, but I have done that stuff before. The American Tiny House Association was, I definitely wasn't one of the like initial energy people, but I was at, sitting with this group of people in, uh, we were in uh, Vermont at the um, Yestermorrow uh, for a tiny house related kind of retreat. Mm-hmm. And we kind of formed up the the format of American Tiny House Association. And again, it's also kind of changed, but Elaine was a big kind of initial person in, in that. Elaine, I uh, can't think of her last name at the moment. Walker, I think. Yeah, yeah, Elaine Walker. Um, and I don't know if she's currently involved with American Tiny House Association. I think it's kind of shifted into other people's hands, but and it's a little different than it was at first. But um, it was initially just a little grassroots um way for people to come together and i i came in as kind of a consulting member consulting founding member for uh engineering of tiny houses and like code code stuff so yeah are your are most of your tiny houses in washington or are they have they traveled far and wide they kind of scatter all over the place there are some of mine that have remained or even returned to Washington, uh-huh. uh, but they're scattered far and wide, um, mostly in the Western U.S., but there's a couple of them out east. Do you have a a favorite tiny house of all the houses that you've built? Oh, no, <laughs> you can't ask me that. It's like asking you what your favorite child is of your kid, you know, like, no, um, but there are some that are like have been a pretty exciting experience. Uh, I'm I'm doing another Moon Dragon variation. Cool. It'll 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 be about the same size and general shape, but I'm assuming by the time I actually get into it, it'll have changed form just a little bit as as I usually do. Um 
that one's really fun. That one's really funny because I adapted somebody's the the original client that I did the Moon Dragon for. I you know took their crazy sketch that they gave me, and I was like, I'll just I'll I'll come up with something, and then you tell me what you think. And and by the time we got done with the back and forth, I thought it was like the ugly duckling of my houses. Um, and then it, it didn't like leave that state in my mind. Like I just didn't think it would be aesthetically interesting. I thought there's too much stuff kind of glommed together. It's just not going to work, you know, as an artistic piece. And then when it came out of the shelter, because they kind of hide in the shelter, you know, we have like little wind wind mesh tarps on the sides. So I, I build in this kind of semi-open uh, covered spaces. And then it came out and I, I was, I immediately realized that it was a, actually a really beautiful design, <laughs> the way it kind of like fed back into itself and had the little peak on the front. So, um, so that one, I'm, I'm excited to do it again. It's, it's pretty. And does that one have a wood stove? Uh, the, uh, yeah, the original one did. Nice. I, I, I can't recall if I'm doing a wood stove. It's again, those sort of things are always kind of up to the, the person. Up to the like some people don't want to deal with wood stoves. Wood stoves take up a, a bit of room because of their clearances and right. they're kind of, you know, a little, you just need to give them a little room because they crank out a lot of heat when you <laughs> fill them full of wood. Um, but, and some people like, I, I appreciate like all the different, I like really cabiny houses. I personally love like wood heat and really kind of funky counters and I love that cabin feeling, but I also have grown a lot to respect clean modernism, like a stainless steel counter, like the functionality plus the beauty of like clean modernism as well. So I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like a style butterfly, so to speak, for the most part. I, I think I have an associated style that people know me for, but like sometimes like all electric you know, like in-floor heating, it's like very clean. You don't see yeah. anything, but it's all there and it works. Yeah, I mean, looking at the interior of the damselfly, like those, the plywood kind of wall paneling is a very modern, very clean kind of look. Yeah. But with a house that has like, like awesome curved, almost an S-shaped roof, if I can describe it that way. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. That was the roof shape that I wanted to do for a long time. I'd been like kind of drawing some variant of that reversed curve thing. Um, and the way that I did that, um, because in the way most people would build that, it would there would have a hinging point between the two parts of the roof. I, of course, because I use computers in conjunction with just not always trying to do things the way they're normally done. I, the rafters go all the way through that S curve, that step. So the rafters are dog legged. Wow. <laughs> and so there's actually a full length rafter through there. And then there's just like these stiffening boards on the front and back. So you normal builder would probably not approach it that way, but I have the kind of luxury of being able to do that because I have all of the design plus production kind of enveloped in my little tiny, teeny shop. So. In terms of the engineering, are you able to determine what is structurally sound based on like the computer modeling or just based on your own experience from doing it? Like, how do you figure out like how to build that S shaped roof in a way that is like going to be able to handle a snow load? Right, right. It's 
there's there's a it's really interesting and in actually engineering isn't all done from like tables and numbers like on some level engineers will guess at something or use their intuition and they'll write their name on it and then it becomes official right um because there's always something that needs to be interpreted i maybe do a little more of the intuitive part than other people but a lot of it's based really closely on what it's based on what I've done before. So I've kind of built gradually on my abilities uh, to, you know, kind of assemble things together in a certain way. Um, The other thing is that in a tiny house, like thing, like a span is pretty small. So if you kind of open your mind and look for where problems may occur, you can head them off. And that's just part of it. That's just engineering. And that's the engineer person job, whoever that is. It's me in my shop, but uh, of like figuring out where the stress point is. And like, if I'm going to have this like cool dormer right there, where are the rest of the loads going to go when there's two and a half feet of snow on the roof? Like that's, it is. And though I don't always use a table of numbers to get there, I, I know, and sometimes we even test like stiffness of something. Um, it is not often that we have to because I tend to slightly overbuild things for strength, or maybe sometimes they're quite overbuilt as far as strength goes. Um, but uh, I don't know, it's just kind of part of the fun. <laughs> but usually I can look ahead, I know how like anchoring systems work, and I use a mishmash of anchoring systems and this like stress skin concept to figure out where loads get pressed to in a curved or odd shape and that's that's kind of how the engineering process goes there's this moment where i have to like put it all together and think of it as a whole animal if you will yeah how do you handle the attachment of the house to the trailer i know that that's always a head scratching moment on a tiny house build ah. like how am i going to make sure that i'm not getting a massive amount of thermal bridging from this cold steel trailer to right, the structure right. and just making sure that it's attached in a way that's like really solid like how do you how do you do that uh there's a lot of ways to do it i actually double up a little bit i use um through bolts into the f- framing but the framing has metal like steel straps the bolt goes through so you know normal kind of like a hurricane tie down style sure um however if you look at a whole, the whole house i'm a little light on that but i have a trick and it's that i bolt ahead of time i bolt a usually a wood ledger around the edges of the trailer and the sheathing from the walls which is part of the skin gets fastened with, you know, a proper skin nailing pattern to that ledger. So I'm doubling the bolts to the framing studs with the um, the rim attachment of all the walls. So all the walls are attached at all points to the trailer. Then what really happens is very fascinating and specific to tiny houses is that the trailer itself is usually rather flexible. So 
I consider that an advantage because what it does is it distributes the loads. So the house is going to jiggle around, but it's going to spread like a spring. It kind of spreads out. If one thing is pulling really hard, the trailer can flex to it a little. You know, it doesn't have that hard load in one corner. Corners do take quite a bit of load, so I focus on them. But um, do, do you kind of get what I mean? There's like this collaborating attachment. Yeah. I mean, m- my own tiny house is parked on the ground and like the freeze thaw cycle just like some part of the year yeah so i i i definitely witness my own oh house, do you have like, like frost heaving oh yeah in vermont <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah you always, and i always notice it because the front steps sometimes like they're like like this and other times they're like this i'm like <laughs> should have put down some concrete uh pads there but yeah, well, frost, if it goes deep, it can cause a lot of movement. Um, yeah. It doesn't happen where I live. The frost never goes more than like, right. you know, it goes like a, not even an inch into the dirt. Yeah. Everything under that, you know, I mean, shoot, you can have a garden hose buried in grass almost and it dead grass and it'll keep it from freezing. Yeah. <laughs> That's not totally true. We we got to snap every once in a while, but it's it's super chill here. But Yeah. Well, fascinating. I I feel like somebody who has built so many houses has really encountered these problems and come up with smart and novel ways of of solving them. And so it's it's also nice to talk with somebody who's also not just trying to go for like speed and efficiency. Like you're you're maintaining the aesthetics that you that you want while also building a structurally sound end product that people can live in safely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's this like one last little element that comes in that I sometimes sometimes I forget for a little bit, but it, it's totally like part of, because tiny houses move around, part of it is that you just kind of have to teach or be available to help the people who have them, say, prop it up in the right way when they get to a new spot, you know? So that it's that little bit of extra that is part of the engineering too. You know what I mean? Like telling people how to put it up on jacks, how to level it or something, that can make it more stable. It's like it's the user interface of a of a structure that right. is kind of where it's at or teaching them how to use the hot water heater. You know, like if you don't teach them how to do it, then it actually is a failure kind of, you know, it's like an engineering failure without the user interface element right so it's this little last like dot on the end of the sentence that like how to live in your tiny house yeah so i usually make myself i'm I'm usually like try to be as generous as i can i get busy of course with my knowledge to the to the folks who i i share my knowledge with whoever like like you for example but um i i think that that's like a good part of the whole picture you know it like makes it work you know like if you buy like a really nice like record player and you like having trouble getting it to not skip and you write the manufacturer and the guy who engineered it like writes you back like that's really awesome and most likely it'll get worked out just like that so like i like that close product engineer designer builder user all like feeding back and forth on each other so i try to listen to what people say and like take it to heart and not just be like a grumpy builder and be like Ugh, more complaints you know i'm like oh they're telling me something that's awesome. 
Um, you mentioned before we started recording that you're working on uh, a musical project. Oh yeah. Are you a musician as well? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've done music kind of on and off my whole life. I was, I had a bit of a hiatus from it. Uh, like an almost, like a, it actually turned out to be like a seven or eight year kind of hiatus where I wasn't doing any sort of songwriting or performing or anyway. Well, it's a long story why I returned to it, but I finally returned to it in the last couple. It's, it's, it's been about three years, and I've I've gotten into um, I'm doing live electronic music. Um, it's usually I tend to do danceable stuff. I do this kind of like ambient soundscape stuff as well. Um, that's all, all kind of sitting right next to me. <laughs> There's a uh, wow. I have a module, modular synthesizer that I use for drums. Um, I have some other, you know, like this. I, I like, I'm into FM synthesis. I have a little um, Moog semi-modular keyboard. Um, so a lot of electronic music, um, but it, it's been like such a, Olympia is a really good place for doing kind of like homegrown music projects. Uh, anyway, I have a partially complete album. We'll see how long that takes me to finish. It would be my first album that I've ever done. I've I've got. I think somewhere between, you know, like 12 and 13 tracks that I'm trying to complete. And awesome. I'm so busy with work that it's just taking forever, which is okay. I'm okay with that. Nice. Well, it's, you've got a lot of creations, it seems. You have to figure out how to distribute your time amongst all of them. Yeah, yeah. In addition to that, I have four kids, all told. Okay, so you have some more creations there. And, um... Yeah, yeah, and so, you know, obviously the most of my kind of energy kind of goes toward my kids, and they're growing up, actually, fast. I've got two 15-year-olds, and it won't be long. <laughs> they're already... Do they help on the builds at all, ever? Um, and my youngest daughter will come out and hang out with me, and there's not a whole lot of things when things are going quick out in the shop for her to help with. But I tend to do smaller projects with them on the weekends, so you know that are more kid adapted. But when you're working to like get a project done and make money, like it's really hard to get inexperienced people in because it all just you kind of bull ahead like a herd of you're like your own herd of buffalo with like a hammer in your hand. You know that's how you get through projects is you just you have to kind of get get yourself spooled up yeah. and go. Um. Have you have you build your house, your tiny house? I did. I did build my house. Okay, yeah, you, you know how much you have to push to get through a whole house. It's yeah, it's it, a ton of work, and I, I don't know if I. I mean, I haven't built another one since then. Mm -hmm. I think if I ever wanted another tiny house, I would probably build some or all of it again. But it was a monumental effort. Mm -hmm. It was like a a fourteen month like pause in the rest of my life while i like worked on this thing yeah 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 that sounds about right yeah, yeah if you've got, got got that much time on your hands you can you can get through it i my friend sarah is like a professional semi-professional i'll just say professional because she's a professional circus performer and she decided she was going to build her own tiny house and she like hit it hard she's kind of a taskmaster and i think she she got through hers and like 
she got it to like livable condition in like 10 months or something. That's awesome. Um, and then of course finish kind of goes on forever as yes, even my own projects, my personal projects, I never totally finish them. <laughs> but when I'm doing work for other people, I kind of have to finish things. Right. Right. Polish it up and send it out done. Um, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it takes a long time to solo through a house build, even a tiny house. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what are two or three books or resources that have inspired what you're doing that you'd like to share with our listeners? Ooh. Let me think about that for a moment. All right. Um, it's really funny because I don't, like, I used to be really into books about, say, like, boat building and such but now I, I find that a lot of my information comes from this kind of like melange of other people like the humans around me is where i gather a lot of my information about building um i don't know i mean like interestingly youtube is a really good even though youtube is full of like weird stuff and crazy cat videos and lions attacking people and cars <laughs> I just, it like feed me this stuff once in a while. I'm like, what the heck, YouTube? Is that, is that really what you think I'm going to click on? Maybe I will, maybe it's I won't. It's the algorithm um, radicalizing you. Yeah, but <laughs> YouTube is this astonishing library of skill sharing. So that's the first one that I can think. If, if you want to learn how to like square up a wall, like you can look it up and you'll find some really good stuff. Um, I, I, I you'll use find some YouTube. really bad stuff too, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah yeah it it just depends on kind of how you look and you can look to see how many people like watch something or i guess the thumbs down do have a function when it comes to like instructional stuff because you can kind of tell the really bad schmoozy ones yeah um but anyway it's it's definitely worth looking for skill sharing because that's kind of where it's at if you're a do-it-yourselfer like figuring out how god how do i get my nail gun not to jam you can probably find a youtube video on that right away like how to keep your nail nail guns from jamming just little things like that and big things too like how to assemble a roof i don't know you know it's all out there um and then otherwise i'm i'm kind of variously influenced by I guess I I mean I guess I'm in the design end of things so I'm influenced by artists of all sorts uh not specifically architects. Uh, in fact, I'm less influenced by architects as I am by like uh surrealistic illustrators. <laughs> I kind of have a love for people that do like surreal illustration because it has a mood, you know, it has this mood to it. Uh there's tattoo artists that do great surrealism because they'll cross like different elements i'll have like a bird stuck in the eye of a needle you know like that kind of stuff i find really inspiring because it it kind of jilts the way you think about uh life a little bit and i think that's you know kind of part of what building is you kind of have to look at your life and if you're building if you're designing a building for yourself and like figure out how you want to Relate that. There is a there is a book that's extremely useful if you haven't had much building experience. It's um the illustrated. Hold on, <laughs> I'm gonna pull the name out of my memory banks. 
Building Construction Illustrated. It's kind of a tome, um, and it's been revised like a jillion times. Um, Building Construction Illustrated is great. And I read it when I was younger. Yep. My, I think my dad got a hold of a copy and he gave it to me, and I just ate it up. It tells a little bit of everything, like how brick walls put together and doesn't fall down, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it has a lot on wood framing and such, so. Well, going back to the, the surrealist uh, tattoos inspiring you, you know, I will just say thank you for your really beautiful houses and for sharing them with the world and for being a guest on the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, it's fun, and I look forward to... I, I want to see, see your build. It sounds, it sounds like it was a fun one, so... Thank you so much to Abel Zill for being a guest on the show. You can check out the show notes from today's episode, which includes links to the resources that Abel mentioned and lots of photos of his beautiful tiny homes at thetinyhouse.net slash 066. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 066. Now I want to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor today, which is the guide Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is a comprehensive field guide to help aspiring tiny house builders make the right choices for their unique homes. In it, you go through the decisions that I made, what I ultimately decided for my own house and why, and how those decisions affected the overall project. I'll help you identify key choices and understand the relationships between them so you can plan your house effectively without spending countless hours researching. The guide has helped readers save hundreds or even thousands of dollars on their tiny houses by avoiding common mistakes. And most important, it will help you feel confident about the choices you're making because you'll know they're the right decisions for you. To learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY when you check out for 20% off any package. Well, that's all for now. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.